All right. So in 2007, Willow Creek Community Church, it's a large church in Illinois, uh, came out with a research study that revealed that 25% of people in church describe themselves as, as either spiritually stalled or dissatisfied with how their church is helping them grow. Now, I don't want to discuss the dissatisfied uh, with your church part of this. Um, I, I just feel like that's not going to take us to a healthy place. Um, so, so the role that your church plays in your spiritual growth, the role that you play in your spiritual growth, who's responsible for what, we're, we're just going to kind of set that aside for this morning. Um, the reason I bring up this statistic is because it is a common feeling to just not feel real great about where you're at spiritually. As the st- study describes, you can feel stalled. You come to church regularly, but God feels distant. You don't feel connected with God. Sometimes spirituality doesn't seem to make sense. In church, we do all these things for others and for God, and, and, but in, there's, in our hearts, there's just this lingering question, you know, what is in it for me? Like, what is the benefit of all this? What is the benefit of these activities that we do? If the Christian life feels like it's a lot to keep up with, and you're trying, and you're trying, and you're tired of trying to keep up with it, Trying to ple- t- tired of trying to please all those people uh, that you're supposed to be helping, you're supposed to be serving, and you're stuck trying to please them, and God feels distant. If that's you, I am hopeful that what we're going to talk about this morning can help you get on back, back on track feeling connected with God. Whether or not you're feeling connected with God right now, it's just simply very common for people to go through ups and downs in their personal lives and in their spiritual lives. If you're you're not feeling disconnected with God right now, it's very likely that at some point, you know, and probably not too too far future, you will feel that way. And I'm hopeful that that this will be relevant um, as you stay on track or attempt to stay on track. To understand what's happening here, I think we first need to realize that we were designed by God just like an engineer designs a car to run on gasoline and regular oil changes. You were designed to run in a certain way. You were designed with some specifications in mind. And if your life is not in alignment with those specifications, you're not going to be running so well. God designed you to run on bread, food. You, you, you need to eat to keep moving. You were designed to live in a house, to have shelter over your head. You can't just sleep out in the elements all year long. It's not going to be good for your health. You were designed to live in community with other people. You can't just not have friends. You know, you, you have, if you have no friends or close relatives, you're just not going to be doing so well. Like you were designed to operate in these ways, God also designed your heart to operate in a certain way. Your heart requires calibration. Now, when I, when I say heart, I'm not talking about your physical heart. I am talking about that part of you that is the center of your personhood, the part that makes um, decisions, the part that has desires. You can call it your soul, your spirit, whatever. I'm using the word heart because that's the word that the Bible often used to, uses to describe this part of you. So your heart has been designed with certain specifications, And to get us started on this, um, we're going to be taking a look at a passage where Jesus is speaking to the condition of the hearts of a group of people called the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a group of religious conservatives, and in our passage, they notice that Jesus, um, when he's over for dinner, does not follow, didn't follow their practice of ceremonial 
hand washing. They've been doing this for hundreds of years, and they call them out on it. According to their tradition, you're supposed to wash your hands before you eat, which, by the way, is a very good idea. <laughs> very good idea. So, but, but they've got all these rules about it, and Jesus isn't following their ritual. So they call him out on it, and he responds with a scathing criticism of their hearts. Here's what Jesus says. It's in Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. We're going to take a pause here and, and uh, define hypocrites a little bit. You know, in our, in our English language, we've uh, developed this word hypocrites to mean something else than what it originally meant. It originally just was the word they used for actors. It's like the word for actor, like an actor in a play, um, stage actor. And so, you know, our term kind of means duplicity, um, but, but as at Jesus, in the time... Um, of Jesus uh, when he lived, it was just basically the word for actors. So, he, so he's saying they're actors. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, you actors. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the, tra- to, to the traditions of men. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They've held on to the teachings of men instead of sticking close to the teachings of God. And Jesus gives them a concrete example of this in the passage. He says, the the scripture says that you should honor your mother and father. The implication being that uh, they should take care of their father and mother in their old age. And that also means um, financially. Well, the Pharisee rabbis had developed a fancy arrangement where the money you you would have used to take care of your parents, you could actually devote that to God, and then you wouldn't be obligated to contribute financially to your parents' care in their old age. It was an arrangement based on the idea that someone could devote or pledge their money to God, which is a scriptural idea, but their application of the scriptural principle nullified the more important command to honor their father and mother. Jesus comes back to this hand-washing thing, and he says that the real problem here is their hearts. Here's what Jesus says at the end of their conversation. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. Well, the Pharisees didn't take too kindly to these comments. Um, But what Jesus says here provides our first insight into how we can recalibrate our hearts to feel and be more connected with the heart of God. If you want to feel connected with God, the first thing you need to do is you need to let God show you what is in your heart. You need to examine what is in your heart in the presence of God. And this is precisely what Jesus does here with the Pharisees. He gives them a picture of 
of what is in their heart. He says they are like actors. And in a later on discussion, he says, you know, he, he makes it very clear that you guys look good on the outside, but on the inside, you are full of greed and self-indulgence. The human heart is evil. I know that's kind of a rough thing to say. Um, feels like a gross generalization. And in a sense, it is a generalization. But this is a, a biblical principle. This is what the Bible says about the human heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The Bible makes clear on many occasions that the, the human heart can harbor and usually does harbor lots of bad and crooked and broken things. It describes the human heart as the source of a lot of evil. Now, I know this is kind of tough because we think of evil as serial killers and uh, murders, be- murderers because of the t- sort of TV shows we watch. It's like, you know, we're watching the TV show. They're always, it's always against these like really heinous um, versions of evil. But in the Bible, that's not, um, or from God's perspective, that's not what evil is. Anything that is broken or twisted from God's intention, anything that's in rebellion to God, is evil. And so if you want to let God show you what is in your heart, you need to be open and ready to see some things that, in his opinion, are not so good. Things that are causing problems in your life, things that are causing problems in the lives of the people around you. You need to ready your heart for examination before God and to be open and honest to his thoughts about what is in there. Psalm 139 shows David doing just this very thing. David is inviting God to show him what is in his heart. And this is what he says. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. To say this prayer is to say, God, I will honestly examine myself and I want your spirit to examine me and show me what is in my heart that is not pleasing to you. And when we go to examine our hearts in the presence of God, what we're going to realize is it's not really an easy thing to do. There's, there's some, some barriers we run into. The first barrier we run into to actually self-examining ourselves you know, in a quality way, the first barrier is self-justification. To let God show you what is in your heart, you need to be able to be honest and avoid that temptation to self-justify. I mean, this is, this is human nature. We, this is our, our common nature. We, we, we want to self-justify. It's natural to feel this way. Proverbs 21, 2 um, points this out. It says, it says, every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. It's natural for us to look at ourselves and say, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. But we need to have brutal honesty and be able to resist that all-too-strong temptation to self-justify, to see ourselves in rose-tinted glasses. The second barrier to quality self-examination is the tendency to look on the outside of our lives uh, without more, looking more deeply into our motives. And, you know, it's, it's been said that our actions demonstrate what is in our hearts, you know, what, what, is, what is there. And that is true, and, and the, the truth is that we don't have x-ray vision to see other people's hearts, and so actions really are the best way that we can interpret what is going on in other people's hearts. And so it's, it's, it's this biblical principle, but, but actions don't tell the whole story, do they? 
And they actually can be deceptive. The Pharisees carefully followed all the right actions, very carefully. But Jesus told them their hearts did not look so good. When we self-examine our hearts, we need to look past our own actions and into the area of our motives. And if we do this sincerely and honestly, without self-justification, I think we're going to make an important discovery about much of our motives. If we want to feel connected to God, and we want God to speak to us about the condition of our hearts, we need to recognize, we need to come to this recognition, how often our motives are aimed at pleasing people rather than pleasing God. You see, your heart was designed to operate in this posture where it's trying to please God. But the result of sin in our lives has made it so that we just get, we get off track. It's been, it's been twisted, and uh, we, we just are stuck trying to please people and, rather than God. It's not the way we were designed to operate. It's kind of like we got the wrong oil in the car. You know, it's, it's like we're trying to use corn oil instead of motor oil. You can make it work for a time. Your car's not going to you know, die immediately. They look the same. But they are very, very different. And in the end, you will conk out. Pleasing people and pleasing God are very different ways of living. If you want to see your heart clearly, you need to recognize just how often you thought you were doing the right thing, but you were actually just doing it to try to look good. And everyone struggles with this. And there's lots of examples. A person you know is uh, sharing something that is a burden on their heart. They finish, and in Christian circles, the typical thing to say is that you will pray for them. And you say it. Did you say it because you care about their concern? You really care about their concern, and you want to lift them up in prayer before God? Or did you say it because you were afraid that you would be seen as uncaring if you left the conversation without a promise to pray? Maybe you really cared about them and you wanted to pray for them. But check yourself. Watch for self-justification. Was that really your motive? You're going to miss church for a few weeks. You go to provide the reason for, the, for your absence to the people that you know. And uh, how do you spin it? How do you spin the reason for why you're going to be gone? And why are you sharing it with them? It can have good and bad motives. Good motives are that you know that they will wonder where you are and you don't want them to worry. You want to keep them in the loop of your life. And that's what you told them. But are you sure it wasn't to protect your reputation? Are you sure it wasn't because you wanted them to know that you had a legit reason? Check your heart. What's really there? When you're choosing a career, are you choosing it because you want to contribute something positive to the world and live out God's purpose for your life? Or are you choosing it because you know it pays well and you want to live a life of luxury? Check your heart. Have you ever been doing something good and maybe it was extraordinarily good and you just kind of hope someone notices? You ever been there? You know, you're, you're, you're over here doing something good and you're, you're just kind of hoping, I hope somebody notices this. And... It's already, or maybe it's already done, and nobody noticed, <laughs> and you're just kind of wishing people knew. Are you doing good for the people who might be watching you, or are you doing good for God? 
Your heart was designed to be in this posture where it only wants to please God, where it does things just so that God is pleased. That is where your heart is designed to be. It's the only right posture, and your heart will be out of whack if, you, if you're doing things apart from this reason. Just like you, I struggle with this desire to have earthly recognition for my good deeds. I console myself with the thought that one day God will tell people about them. <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I'm expecting that one day God is going to share our good deeds on the jumbotron of heaven. And in my dream, it's like this really awesome jumbotron. And we're, we're all sitting there and we get to see what, what people's lives were really like. And, uh, and there's a lot of scriptural suggestion that he might actually do something like that. <laughs> but what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if God pulls you aside into one of the small rooms of heaven and thanks you personally for all the wonderful things that you did in this life? And that's it. And then, and then you know, maybe, maybe you're in that room and you say, well, well God, aren't you going to let people know? And, uh, and you... <laughs> You say, don't, don't I get some sort of pin or like a medal of honor or something? And, and God's like, no, we don't, we don't do that sort of thing in heaven. But hey, you know what? Let's, uh, let's go sit on the couch and watch the video. And so you sit on the couch with God and you're watching the video and it's, and it's, it's going through and he, and, he, uh, and he presses pause and he says, hey, you see that one? That was awesome. Thanks so much for doing that. Would that be enough? If it's not enough, then we, we know who we're doing it for. So you've got to search your heart and see if your heart posture is positioned towards pleasing people or pleasing yourself or if you're positioned with a heartfelt desire to please God. Here's some questions that you can ask yourself, and they're in the, in the outline I made this morning uh, that I made, and you can take a look at it. Um, some questions you can ask yourself to discover the condition of your heart and, and self-examine. You can, you can, as you ask yourself these questions, invite the Holy Spirit. And I think the Holy Spirit will help you along in seeing what is really there in your heart. See if you need adjustment in your heart position. You can ask yourself the age-old question, how do you live when no one is watching? There's no accountability. You've got freedom to do as you please. How do you live in those moments? You can ask yourself, how often do I initiate good things that won't be seen by others? How often do do I try to get to to know God in ways that are are not going to be seen? How often do I try to serve others in ways that will not be seen? Am I initiating these things, or, or does there need to be some sort of social obligation? You can ask yourself, how easily does my behavior change for the worse when I am around people who are not such a good influence? How easily does my behavior change in those circumstances? You can ask yourself, um, how truly remorseful do I feel about my sins? They hurt God's heart. Do they hurt my heart? You can ask yourself, if Jesus came back today, would I be disappointed? And if there's something that kind of comes to mind that is the reason that you would be disappointed, you know, that might be something that you desire more than God. If you've done some good soul-searching, heart examination, and you realize there's still this portion of your heart, maybe all of your heart, that is just stuck wanting to please people, the next step is to repent and change your heart. That's right. You can change the condition of your heart. 
through this thing we call repentance. To feel more connected to God, you must search the true desires and motives of your heart and repent of those desires that are out of alignment with the desire to please God. There's probably a few different types of idols in your heart that could be causing your heart to be out of whack. But the one we've been focusing on this morning, the label that we put on it, is reputation. That's what we call it. Your reputation has become an idol. You've been pursuing it. You're always afraid of losing little bits of it, and you've been envying it in others. You've been greedy for it. You've desired it more than things that are, that are more important. Once you have a little bit, you just, you just hold on to it. You, you just can't stand to let a little bit of it go. It's an idol, and it's a temptation from Satan. He tries to keep people bound up in this trap through, through two things, fear and ambition. Through fear that you will lose your reputation, or and through ambition, which is always thirsty for more, but is never satisfied. What does it look like to repent from this idol of reputation that is stuck inside your heart? In the Old Testament, they had physical idols. They, they, they had blocks of wood that they would, would worship. This is a This was an ancient practice. And they had this approach in the Old Testament of dealing with idols that I think becomes helpful as we deal with this idol of reputation. The first thing they did was to expose the idol, to uncover this cloud of mystery and admiration surrounding this idol, and to reveal the fact that the idol was just really a block of wood that had been carved. They expose how ridiculous it is to bow down to something that cannot even move. How ridiculous it is to put that we put a little wedge under it because it's it's lopsided and it can't stay up on its own to worship something like that. And once they had exposed the ridiculous nature of this idol, they would desecrate it. That means that they would destroy it and ruin it in such a way that no one would ever want to worship that idol again. They would throw the idols in among a pile of bones and then they would burn them. No one, no one ever wanted to touch the idols again after that. So if you're wanting to repent from the idol of reputation, expose and desecrate. Expose your heart and your mind to how chasing after reputation in life is really like chasing after the wind. It's ridiculous. It's a waste of time. Think how you look like a fool when you worship it. How ridiculous it is when people grovel in admiration of celebrities of reputation, when they schmooze them and they do these ridiculous things to just get a little bit of recognition from them, a little portion of the reputation from people who have a lot to give away. Expose what it's done to the lives of those who have pursued and worshipped success and sold their lives to obtain it. It doesn't look pretty. It's a shame. To repent of these things is to take that which you have held dear for so long that you can't imagine living without it, that security blanket of your youth, and to force your arms to extend it away from your body, force your legs to walk across the room, and to place that thing deeply within the trash can. And then walk away ready to pick up something new. That's what repentance feels like. Many people find that when they repent, it is helpful to do something symbolic, um, to make the decision final, something, something that, that can cause them to be in a place where they cannot go back. In some parts of China, 
when a person becomes a Christian, um, they gather the idols in their house and uh, they go out and have a party and they smash them. And if you have any books on witchcraft or psychics and, and things like the occult, they, they go out and burn them. They have a party. It's a way to solidify their repentance by burning the bridge that might let them go back. They can always buy more idols and books, but the statement that's made to the relatives who care about the idols or the books, that statement never goes away. So, so you're laying down this reputation thing. What are you picking up instead? Romans 2 says this, a person with a changed heart seeks praise not from people, but from God. You're picking up a sincere desire to please God with your life. That's what your heart is designed for. It's what you need. Once you've repented, you've taken up a new heart that wants to please God, you need to find out what pleases him. And the first thing you'll learn is that God really, truly, first and foremost, he wants your heart. That's, that's what he's after. That is his first, foremost, most important goal. I, uh, I had a friend once who uh, struggled with lots of personal problems, um, but God had his heart. And, you know, I, truthfully, I, I don't really know whether God had his heart. I, I, I'm not, I don't see people's hearts. Only God sees people's hearts. Uh, but I feel like from what I saw in his life, I really had um, a good reason to believe that God had his heart. Um, but this guy struggled with a lot of personal problems. Uh, alcohol, casual sex, mental illness, um, he just was not good at managing his money. I mean, just the list could go on and on, the personal problems he had. He just didn't have good life skills. And he didn't have those things, but God had his heart. And I would see him trying to do the right thing, and uh, he'd, he'd take two steps forward and one step back. But it was encouraging to see him wanting to please God. One day he passed away when alcohol clashed with his medication, and, uh, and it was sad. He got so many things in life wrong, like most of the things in life he got wrong. But God had his heart. And he really did, I think, have a heart, had a heart that wanted to please God. It's like that story of the tax collector and the Pharisee, you know, who go into the temple to, to pray and meet with God. And the tax collector comes in and he's, and he's bowing low and he's just grieved over his sins and he's asking for forgiveness and mercy from God. And he's just, he just feels miserable about his life, but he wants help from God and he, he just is confessing those things to God. And then a Pharisee comes in, and, and the Pharisee has all his actions right. He prays, he gives, but his heart isn't right. And Jesus says it's actually the tax collector who went home being right with God that day. You see, if God has your heart, he essentially has dibs for the rest of your life. You may not be good at living it out, but you are his And it's only a matter of time before your life becomes more and more like the reflection of who who he designed you to be. Proverbs uh, 4.23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Once he has your heart, he has the rest of your life. And, and And by the way, if you think he has your heart and you aren't letting him have dibs to the rest of your life, I'm sorry to break it to you, but he just really doesn't have your heart. That's the way it works. The second thing you'll find is that God really does care about your actions. He cares about those actions. He wants you to obey his commands. Why? Because it's good for you. Those guidelines, they're set up for you to help you keep you in good shape, 
keep you out of trouble, keep you on the right path to enjoying life. The third thing you'll find when you go and try to find what is pleasing to God is you'll find that he has a role for you to play in his kingdom, in his mission in the world. He's got a role for you. And if you haven't figured out what that is for you yet, you really got to do that because that is part of what God has designed you to do with your life, is to be a part of this. The fourth thing you'll find is that God wants you to spend some time um, out of the public eye connecting with him. He wants to spend some time connecting with you. Time where you're just there to meet with God because you like him and you want to make him happy and you want to connect with him. You like him. By the way, that's also another indicator of whether your heart really does want to please God. When you make that heart switch from trying to please men to trying to please God, you're going to find a bit of a surprise in God. He's not a taskmaster, he's not a slave driver. You'll find that that hollow rat race of ambition and the constant fear of making mistakes that other people will notice, that that was a heavy load to bear, especially as you compare it to the simple requests that God makes on your life. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Please stand. I want to invite our prayer team people to come forward.